Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for coming to church. Whether you're here in church or watching online, it's really great for you to be a part of today's service. Now, this week, we're continuing on our series of Toxic, and last week, our senior minister, Steve Fitzalan, kicked us off talking on a fence. Now, I don't know exactly what fence he was talking on. I mean, I was here, and I'm pretty sure he was actually talking on this very stage, not on a fence at all. Now, I didn't just come up with that, it actually took me hours and hours to think of it, and clearly it's paid off. But don't worry, in relation to dad jokes, that'll definitely be my first. All right, let's move on and press play. Now, I say press play because last week, if you remember, Steve, you got us to press pause a couple of times, but I think you forgot to press play again. That's right, buddy, I've got you. Oh, actually, I hope I didn't offend you by that comment. Oh, that's right. Life is too short and your calling is too great to get offended. See? I was listening. In all seriousness, though, Steve, that was an excellent message last week. And today I'm going to continue our series talking about the topic worry. Now, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben Cromkamp, and I can see looking out the auditorium today, many of you have already got that look of worry on your face. So clearly, you're heavily invested in this topic and willing to come along with me. But uh, yes, thank you very much for that. That actually gives me inspiration to keep going this morning. All right, to set the scene for us today, Kevin DeYoung is an American theologian, senior pastor and author, and he gives us a fantastic example of a daily life of worry. You wake up 10 minutes late and anxiety already starts to set in. What if I'm running late for work? What's the weather like? What's the traffic going to be like? You rush past the mirror and you worry that there's more wrinkles on your face than there used to be. You rush downstairs and because you're running late, you let your kids eat whatever they want. And then you start to worry, does sugar really cause cancer? And as you get the kids ready for school, you realise one of them hasn't done their homework again and you worry, are they ever going to get their heads screwed on straight? And as you drop them off to school, you worry, are they going to fall into the wrong crowd or indeed fall off the monkey bars? So you get home and you put up Facebook just to unwind. Then you scroll through and you realise just how awesome everyone else's kids are and how great your friend's cupcakes are. And you start to worry that you may be a failure as a parent. Later that morning, you feel pain in that knee again and you wonder, am I going to need knee replacement surgery? You start to worry about how much it's going to cost. Will insurance cover it? And who's going to look after my kids if I'm in hospital for a couple of weeks? And hours later, when the kids are in bed, you turn on the TV just to unwind. And you go through the channels and you get caught up in the news. And you start to worry about the economy, how our leaders are running our country, and the rise of crime in your city. So you turn off the TV and you speak to your partner, whose cough doesn't seem to be getting any better, and you worry about all the layoffs they've been having at work. And finally, as you lay down for the night, you feel a tremendous sense of anxiety and you don't even know why. For reasons you can't even understand, you start worrying about life and kids and parents and church and health and flying and driving and eating and a general fear that the days ahead could be really bad. Can anyone relate to that? Well, I can, and later on I'm going to share my story about worry in my life. 
But before I do, I guess we should answer the obvious question number one, and that is, well, what is worry? Well, the Web Dictionary answer is to feel or cause to feel anxious or troubled about actual or potential problems. It's a good start, but it's a little bit clinical. So I dug a little deeper and I found this from a devotion written by a clinical head of psychology who's also a Christian. And she states that worry is defined as giving way to anxiety or unease, allowing one's mind to dwell on difficulties or troubles. What it implies is thinking about life's events and turning them into an unhealthy pattern of worry. I think this sums up worry really well. You know, in the book of John in the Bible, this is Jesus speaking, he tells us that in this world there will be trouble. Difficulties and troubles are here to stay. That we know is true. And everyone, everyone watching today has gone through or are experiencing difficulties or troubles in their life. You know, as people, we all worry about things to some extent, and many of us find it useful to proactively think about challenging future events. Of course, thinking about such things may not actually lead to worry, even involving critical things that happen in our life. You know, a few years ago, I watched the movie Sully. It follows the true story of the emergency landing of US Airways Flight 1549. The plane landed on the Hudson River with 155 souls on board after the pilots experienced dual engine loss at a lower altitude than any jet in history. In the subsequent investigation, the National Transport Safety Bureau argued that pilot Chelsea Salenberger had given way to anxiety and dwelled on the troubles at hand. In truth, however, he spent critical seconds not on worrying, but on analysis and decision-making, which ultimately saved the life of every person on board. All because he was thinking and not worrying. You know, Ruth, in her devotion, tells us that there's something that will always want to fill our minds, but she says it's up to us to give way to it. She tells us to think of your mind as a door to a house, the house being your body. It's common practice for people to ring the door before they come in. And when we recognise the person, or quite frankly want them to come in, then we allow them inside. You know, a stranger cannot just willingly walk inside your house without approval. And if they do, I know who you're going to call. No, it's not the Ghostbusters. In that view of giving way or allowing passage, Ruth says that it's not every thought that we should allow to live in our mind. She says that there will be difficulty and trouble, but again, we can choose to dwell on them or challenge them. It doesn't mean that those difficulties or challenges will go away instantly, but it does mean, she says, that we can choose to take control of that situation temporarily. The difference then between worrying and thinking is that worry consumes you. Obvious question number two, does worry help us? Well, the votes are in and it's a resounding no. In Proverbs 12.25 it says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Does that sound good, being weighed down? With all the worries that I shared in that story at the start of my talk today, all the worries they had in their day, do you think that helped them? Have you ever looked back on life and the hard times and thought, I don't know how I would have made it through if I didn't worry so much? 
You know, no one reflects on the past and concludes, ah, sure, money was tight, but worry got me through. Or, I had a really bad diagnosis, but then I got all my friends to worry with me. You know, the effectiveness of worrying is summed up really well by Mary Schmidt, who wrote an article that was published in 1997. She gave advice on how to live a happier life and avoid common frustrations. And the article was later a basis for a successful word-spoken song by Baz Luhrmann called The Sunscreen Song. And that actually spoke about worry. Don't worry about the future, or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. Another way to answer the question, does worry help, is what can you add to yourself by worrying? In Matthew 6, this is Jesus talking, he asks, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No, they can't. So yes, we can worry, but no, it's certainly not going to help us. Now, whilst preparing for today, I had on some background music, and as all true believers know, the best music is from the 80s. And in 1988, my wife was falling, Bobby McFerrin sung the catchy song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Now that, now not, not the whistle, but the song, the song actually was so popular it went number one around the world. But I think the song Don't Worry, Be Happy sort of sums up how many of us deal when people have worry in their life. The issue with worry is that we believe it's unnatural. People come up to us and say, don't worry, it'll be okay, you'll be fine. We might go up to people, to friends and family, and say, don't worry, it'll be okay. And although we might mean well and feel like we're supporting them, Really, we're just trying to get them to move on and stop worrying, because worrying's unnatural, remember? So while back in the 80s, dealing with a worry, we could have sung the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, it's simply not going to cut it today. Just to be clear, though, worry is real. Whenever we feel anxious or troubled about actual or potential problems, there is worry. About things that might happen in the future, or things that may not happen at all. You know, many people physically live on Earth, but enjoy the idea of an alternate world. That's why people become so easily addicted to video games and alternate world games. And in a similar sense, others live in the alternate world of their worries. Some live in the worst-case scenario and build a full-length movie out of just one thought. Have you ever thought of a scenario so much that you ended up feeling the emotion in real life? Maybe you cried at the thought of losing a loved one, or you became angry with a friend during a made-up argument. You know, in March this year, COVID-19 became the news event of the century. And I worked alongside a member who was constantly talking about COVID, watching the TV headlines and following the social media. And they seemed to do this all day, every day. They would often give others at work the worst-case doom-and-gloom scenario. They had moved very quickly from just thinking about it to being consumed by it. And their worry grew so much that they even had reservations about coming to work just in case. Now, just to be clear, in the current world we live in, I believe we should be alert but not alarmed. 
We should all take precautions like we do when we go to our workplaces and grocery stores and even coming to church this morning. We should take the time to think about our actions, but that doesn't mean it has to consume us. Thinking, not worrying. Like what I saw with my work colleague, when we are consumed by worry, we don't think rationally, we can't operate normally, and we don't move in the right direction. We're simply stuck in that moment and driven into negativity. And that becomes toxic. You know, I remember a time in my life when worry consumed me much that it became toxic for me. It was 2016 and I was completing my sergeant's course in Hobart. And it was a real pressure cooker of a course, the toughest two weeks of my working career. And to be a course that would qualify you to be a supervisor, to at times make life and death decisions, I guess it had to be tough. So there was indeed pressure. But here's the thing. The real pressure didn't come from the instructors or the material. Where do you think it came from? It came from ourselves. You know, after the first week, I was so consumed, not wanting to fail, thinking about what might happen, the what-ifs, the scenarios playing in my head, that all those thoughts consumed me and turned into worry. I worried all the time, and that drove me into a negative mindset. I started thinking that they just wanted to fail us, that the department was against me, and it was all a big conspiracy. And who did I spend time with those two weeks? People of similar mindset. And that only served to fuel my toxic fire. But the crazy thing was that even though those thoughts were real in my mind, none of those things were actually true. There was no conspiracy. They didn't want us to fail. They weren't against us. You know, growing up, I remember my dad having this saying. I've lived through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. You know, Mark Twain knew the issues in life were not always actual events, but created events that might have happened. And as people, we consume our time worrying about these events. Well, that was me. You know, when we're consumed by our negative thoughts and we can't see past them or through them, then worry becomes toxic. And worry affects everyone, whether we believe in God or not. No one is immune. In fact, as believers, worry becomes a crutch that takes us away from prayer and devotion, which should actually be our first response. That was me. I didn't pray. I didn't spend time with God, even though I'd accepted him in my life years earlier, even though I needed him so much that week. Does this resonate with anyone this morning? So, how do we deal with worry? Well, I believe in order to shape the future, we need to start with the present. And that means being present. You know, my beautiful wife, Katie, is a social worker, and she explains being present really well. When we have toxic thoughts and feelings that take over, it can feel like they become our truth. We fuse to them like they become all we think and feel and see. Or we try various methods to push away, or try and change and ignore them, and those feelings and thoughts. But ultimately, we're fighting and battling them. But in the end, that's exhausting. 
because we're still focused on the thoughts and feelings. And both of these approaches stop us from being able to be present and focus on and participate in what's important and valuable in our life. So we're either completely stuck and fused to it, or we're fighting and we're battling with it. And both of these prevent us from living our God-given potential. But being present with thoughts and feelings, it's not about trying to change them or get rid of them, deciding whether they're true or not. It's acknowledging them, saying that they're there, that they are a thought or a feeling. In some ways, even opening up and making room for that thought. And whilst doing so, also choosing to live according to our values and goals. You know, when we focus on what's important, then we can say, I'm having the thought that I don't have enough time and spending time with my children is important to me. Or, I'm feeling overwhelmed and I want to grow in courage. You know, when we learn to be present, acknowledging thoughts and feelings and live true to our values and goals, the toxic thoughts and feelings often lose the power that they had. See, a lot of the power is in the fusion or the battle. But by being present, we don't allow them to rule us or run over us. Thanks, Katie. You know, early this year, I watched a Netflix series called One Last Dance. It's an American sports documentary that focuses on the life of Michael Jordan, with particular focus on his final season with the Chicago Bulls. Now, for those in their 20s or younger, I'm talking basketball. <laughs> and in episode nine, they interviewed Mark Bansell, who's the author of Rare Air, a biography of Michael Jordan. Mark states that most people live in fear because they project the past into the future. And that a big downfall of a lot of players or otherwise gifted people is always thinking about failure. Mark says that with Jordan, his gift was not that he could jump high, run fast or shoot a basket. It was that he was completely present. And for him, that was the separator. Michael Jordan didn't allow what he couldn't control to get inside his head. He would say, why would I think about missing a shot I haven't yet taken? Thinking has to start with thinking. And that's when God showed me this verse. Romans 12.2 encourages us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Don't copy the behaviours and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You transform behaviour by firstly changing the way you think. And our thoughts are based on our beliefs. You know, God already knew that the cares of this world would overwhelm us, and he offered himself as the solution. And if we're to change our thoughts, then we firstly have to remember the promises in God's word. And for me, it was this. Remembering that God is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. When I was on that course, consumed by worry, and crushed by spirit, I realised that God was with me. So let me finish my story. 
After a tough first week, I was weary and burdened. It was Monday morning of the final week, crunch time. I remember looking in the mirror, putting my tie on, when I audibly heard the words, Ben, you can do this, you've got this. You know, when you feel lost and alone, the feeling of someone being there for you unconditionally is a very, very powerful experience. I was reminded by the verse in Matthew 18, sorry, Matthew 11, 28, which says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I had burdens. I needed someone to carry them. And that someone was Jesus. For me, resting in God was an exchange of hardship and burden to experience real freedom, living free from worry. I experienced that. And I believe you can experience that too. So I went into that final week differently. Sure, I was thinking about it, but I didn't find myself consumed by it. I acknowledged those thoughts that were there and the pressure, but I also was reminded of what was important that week. And for me, that was being courageous. You know, at the end of the course, we gave feedback to our course directors. I remember telling them that I actually found week two, the final week, to be easier than the first week. Indeed, they were a bit perplexed until... I shared with them my story. You know, focusing on what's important in life while still acknowledging the thoughts and feelings has given me fresh perspective at work. I don't find myself consumed by worry or focusing on the negatives, the what-ifs, the uncertainties or the thoughts of failure. The circumstances I find myself in are completely the same, but my beliefs thoughts and response to that are completely different. Does all this mean that I'll never have trouble again in my life? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that I can acknowledge my thoughts and at the same time see what's valuable in my life, not allowing worry to become toxic. It also means I can rest in God knowing that he is for me and not against me. So what does that mean for each of us? Well, firstly, we can't run from worry. See, running from something is not freedom. If someone escapes police custody or breaks out of jail, are they free? No, because every moment they're looking behind their shoulder wondering, when am I going to get caught up with? That's not freedom. You can't run from worry. You need to let it exist as a thought or a feeling, but not as a truth. This means acknowledging your worry, but not letting it interrupt your daily life. Secondly, answer this question. How tolerant am I about uncertainty? Do I need to know the finer details of what's coming up next in my life? Because our tolerance for uncertainty ultimately reveals a deeper issue about trusting the one who is certain, the one who knows the beginning from the end. And even though the future may not be clear to you right now, 
it is crystal clear to the God who predestined you and gave you a hope and a future. Another challenge may be being careful about what you look at and what you allow in. Maybe for you that means turning off the TV. If social media is a trigger, take a break. If every time you talk to a particular person, you find you're worrying about the future, limit your conversations. Spend that extra time reading the Bible and in prayer. It helps us to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, Philippians 4.8, I love this verse. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely. Fixing my thoughts was a catalyst to having joy in my work. The eternal knowledge that enables us to face trials. That condition that comes from intimately knowing our Heavenly Father. It's the knowledge, not just a hope, that there is a greater inheritance waiting. Now, in closing, I wanted to share this. Do you know there are channels out there, TV channels, that just replay old sports games? Why would someone want to watch a game where they already know how it ends? Well, that's exactly why they watch, because they know how it ends. If you knew that your team won on the last play of the game, then you no longer care about the turnovers or the missed opportunities because you know how it ends. So church, this morning, know that trials will come. There will be difficult times and thoughts, but they don't have to consume you. Acknowledge them, but don't dwell on them or allow them to be toxic. Instead of running from worry, focus on being present today. And allow God to take your burdens and give you rest. Because even though we know in life we have turnovers, we have missed opportunities, that really isn't going to matter because at the end of the day we know how the story ends. Amen. Amen.